0: Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krauss. I know I sound cheery, but did you know that January 18th, today, is the most depressing day of the year? Years ago, a guy called Cliff Arnell at the Cardiff University did a study and declared January to be the most depressing month of the year. He said that because of the weather, because of debt amassed over Christmas, Uh, Time elapsed since Christmas, the average hours of daylight going down and unsuccessful New Year's resolutions, Uh, a slump happens. And he said that the third Monday of January, he called it Blue Monday, is the single most depressing day of the year. Now it's an algorithm that he put together and don't tweet at me or text me or anything about how it's not scientific. I know it's not scientific. It was done for a holiday company uh, to try and sell vacations abroad in sunny Spain. I know that. I know all that, but it's a pretty good little story. and. January can be a little depressing, but there's a way around that. I spoke with a guy called Dr. Norman Holland, and uh, he's taught everywhere, MIT, Harvard, all over the place. And he says that going to the movies can be restful, it can be rejuvenating, it can make you feel better. So let's listen to a little bit of Dr. Norman Holland talking about why movies are actually good for you how is it that going to movies makes us feel better? There's um, some interesting studies, which I think you have written about uh, fairly extensively, um, that says that there are therapeutic benefits uh, from going to the movies. Your brain takes a rest and that sort of thing, which I would have thought runs kind of counter. I thought your brain would be engaged, it would be working a little overtime because of the imagery in front of you and your engagement with the story, but apparently that's not so?
1: No different parts of your brain. Mm. The parts that turn off, the parts that plan action, because you're not going to act on what you see on the screen in front of you, so you, uh, you turn off the systems that plan, that look ahead, that evaluate futures, and that explains uh, the familiar phenomenon of the ruling suspension of disbelief. Uh, you, you, don't, uh, you, you accept the most improbable things, like, say, Star Wars or Spider-Man, whatever. At the same time, however, lower centers of your brain are generating emotions like mad in, in response to what you're seeing. And uh, so you, this is this peculiar phenomenon that you can feel and care about these people on the screen at the same time that you know perfectly well they're nothing but a fiction.
0: And is it a different part, or is it a different process, I guess, uh, watching a film than it is reading a book? Or are
1: they similar? Uh, They're similar. You could do the same thing with a book. You get very involved with these people, but they are not real, and you know that they're not real. You know that you're sitting there reading a book, but you're not conscious of that. You don't pay attention to that fact. What you have instead is the emotional experience. And the same thing
0: with movies. And when you are engaged in this way, so part of your brain is working, uh, part of your brain is resting, part of your brain, is it physically restful? Like, is it as good as a nap? Is it, uh, uh, you know, a little less work than our day-to-day?
1: Well, as you know, they're they're redesigning movie theaters with with, uh, recliner chairs so that you can sleep through the movie, but... (laughs) But uh, no, I, I, yes, it is relaxing. I, this is the part of your brain that worries, that plans for future, that's concerned about your the state of your body. Uh, all that, all that shuts down, and that's that is restful, no question about it.
0: And so, if. We are experiencing the Blue Monday, January 19th. No, it was January 18th is the most depressing of day of the year, statistically. Uh, so on that day, if we go to the movies, uh, is, is the idea that we will feel better? And does it matter what movie we see?
1: Well, uh, Cineplex did a survey and found that uh, Canadians want to go to a movie that's amusing and that's uh, that's not not depressing <laughs> not to add to. Uh, you know, we don't want Ingmar Bergman on uh, yeah. on Monday, on Blue Monday. So, uh, yeah, it's that's the idea that you'll feel better. Do something for yourself. Do something that pleases you.
0: This is Doubtfire and Shawshank Redemption. Uh, these are older movies that star uh, established. You know, movie stars Tim Robbins, Morgan Freeman, Robin Williams, uh, Pierce Brosnan is in uh, is in Mrs. Doubtfire. So is there some sort of comfort level that goes along with seeing uh, actors on the screen that we are familiar with, that we feel very comfortable with?
1: I think that's probably true, Richard. I, I haven't looked into it, but uh, yes. Familiar characters uh, and familiar and familiar faces, and people that we've had good experiences with before, and can expect good experiences with again.
0: And uh, if you were to go see a movie on January eighteenth, the most depressing day of the year, what would it be for you?
1: <laughs> My taste in movies is very special. I like the classic. The, uh, the, the the golden period of the foreign movies, the 1950s, 1960s. And I probably might go to see eight and a half.
0: Well, I, there, there's, listen, I was gonna say, uh, you know, something by Fellini, because they've got a, fan, a, a fanciful uh, flair to them, but it would engage both the emotional and intellectual sides of your brain. You bet, I love Fellini. Yeah. That's Dr. Norman Holland. He's a doctor. It must be true. Going to the movies is as good as taking a nap. Just don't nap at the movies and snore and bother me while you're uh, taking a little break from the rest of your depressing life. Uh, Pablo Schreiber. Now, he's an actor whose face, I think, that you'll be very familiar with. He's the half-brother of Liev Schreiber, but he's also appeared in um, a lot of television shows, most notably, I guess, Orange is the New Black, but he was also on The Wire. Uh, He won a Tony Award for his performance in Awake and Sing on Broadway. There was a great show called The Brink uh, that he was on, which was kind of a a, a satire about what's happening in the Middle East right now. He was fantastic on that show. I miss that show. It's not coming back for a second season. I wish it was. Uh, Right now, he's starring in the new Michael Bay film, 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. Now, Michael Bay is kind of a, uh, love him or hate him sort of proposition for a lot of people. Me, I'm not the biggest Michael Bay fan out there, but I wanted to find out what it was like to make a really intense war movie, to make a movie that had to be a difficult slog at the best of times. They shot in Malta, they shot in uh, exotic, but, but kind of uh, places that aren't used to having big Hollywood productions move in, so the conditions were kind of tough. And on top of that, you're working with Michael Bay who has a reputation, let's say. This is what Pablo Schreiber had to say about that. It looks really intense, super intense. It can't be as intense to shoot them as it as it looks, but it's gotta be rough. Were you prepared for that?
2: I think it's probably pretty close to how it looks. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, you know, I, I, was, I was prepared in a way because everyone who has worked with Michael Bay has told me that, uh, the set can be uh, a challenging place to work that he works. Uh, yeah, well, you, I got all these stories to, mm-hmm. to prepare me from everybody's experiences with Michael, but ultimately, nothing that anybody says can actually prepare you for that experience. <laughs> he, he just works faster than any director that, that's working. We do about 75 setups a day, which is massive, and especially right. when each of them is like its own action sequence. And,
0: and typically, you might only do 10 or something yeah, exactly. like that. Yeah, right? exactly.
2: It's just an insane amount of work. And he wants, uh, so he demands a lot of you, you know. Mm -hmm. It's very necessary that you come prepared, uh, that you're ready to to perform any piece of the movie at any given time. Uh, One good example is that there's a scene at the end where a convoy is rolling in and we don't know if they're friendly or, or bad and it's kind of it's one of the emotional peaks of the movie and For me, it was a scene that I had checked off as an actor that I need to make sure I was you know Ready and prepared for and I'd have lots of time and all this and then uh, He shot it a week before we were supposed to shoot it <laughs> and I had about five minutes to prepare He said let's go on the roof and let's get that last sequence. Let's go. Let's go and he starts setting up cranes and so just to be ready at any moment for whatever he's going to throw at you is very important. But I think as actors, which is great, you know all, all six of us ended up leaving there feeling like if, if we had gotten through that experience, that we could, we could deal with anything.
0: <laughs> I, I got the feeling watching this movie that it was a little more uh, loose. In terms of the way he directs, and it might be mm-hmm. on the Transformer movies, which I would imagine are green screens and you know whatever else, um, was he throwing out ideas? I mean, it sounds like he was, mm-hmm. but it sounds like it's fairly loose, fairly fluid, which yeah. I wouldn't imagine typifies his right. work on the bigger blockbustery. You know
2: films Yeah I think he You know when he's doing Transformers and things like that I think he has a lot of Set pieces Uh, And there was a few Set pieces in this movie You know uh, One or two of the Car chases And then Each of the uh, Escalating waves of battle That come in at the annex uh, For the second third Of the movie Um but uh, but other than those set pieces, it, it, it was very loose. And, and like I said, we were jumping around in the script from this place to that place. And uh, yeah, I think it, it, he has a real run-and-gun mentality. Like you never quite know where he's going to go. And, and he gets attracted to certain things in the moment. Like he sees something and he wants to shoot that. So he goes over there and shoots that. Um, and so yeah, you just have to be on your toes and ready to go anywhere.
0: It's interesting though, because the movie is about being in the most violent place in the world probably it's chaotic you never know what's going to happen next maybe the idea behind directing like that is that let's keep the actors off balance as the real guys would have been
2: yeah i'm not sure how much forethought there was into (laughs) into that vibe but but listen it definitely uh is effective and works you know we as actors we were constantly um disoriented and didn't quite know where we were or what we were going to be doing on any given day and that that um, atmosphere definitely lends itself because like you said, these guys were, uh, they never know who their friends are, who their enemies are, they're always looking over their shoulders and, and there's a lot of disorientation and, and chaos on that evening so it, it, it lent itself for sure.
0: And the real, the surviving real guys were on set, right? Yep,
2: yeah, yep, yeah, they now came over. Um, what was over. that like? Um, you know, there's a real responsibility, I think, that we all felt. Uh, first of all, to get the facts right of the story, you know, and I think Michael especially took that that uh, burden on in a very serious way. Uh, and then, obviously, to to get the real people correct, you know, and when you know that the person that you're playing is eventually going to watch the movie, uh, it brings a certain level of responsibility that you really want to make sure that they that they feel good about their representation of, of a very important time in all of their lives, obviously. Um, so having them there was was, it was uh, helpful, you know, because there's a lot of uh, facts here that we're dealing with, and and so to be able to look over and say is that how you did it, or you know, is that does that feel right, um, was was uh, a really good resource.
0: They're interesting character studies because these are, are men who are uh, warriors to the bone, I guess, uh, but also have families, have a much different life stateside than they do, uh, you know. For their work life, mm-hmm. and I, I thought it was a really interesting look at these guys who feel more comfortable when there's chaos erupting around mm-hmm. them than they probably do when they're at home, uh, even though they they seem to all be making attempts to have kind of a normal thing going on in the
2: U.S. There's a great line uh, in in one of my favorite scenes in the movie that's uh, between Jack and Roan uh, on the roof, and and they have there's a quiet time between these waves of battle and. And Jack says downtime is the worst because you start to think about home. Um, and he ends the the sequence with a with a question to to Roan, uh, and he says, "Why can't why can't I go home? Why can't I just go home and stay?" And I think they all um, battle that, you know. And it's not for me to answer the question as to to why they can't, but um, it was it was definitely an interesting uh, window into into their uh, existence to hear that. Each of them, um, even after they had gone through kind of this horrific 13 hours of battle on that night, and all of them still carry heavy emotional wounds from that, but each of them said um, how much they missed the work and how much they wished they could be back there. And to me, that's just uh, it, it's a mentality that, that I don't have. Yeah, and it seems almost unimaginable. It's, it really is, you know. Um, and and uh, it's really interesting because this is you know Michael Bay made this movie obviously and he normally makes these kind of big extravaganza things but this is it's not a it's not a superhero movie you know and there's so many franchises out there now about superheroes and this is not a superhero movie it's a movie about um, very very real human beings who behaved extraordinarily under the most the most difficult circumstances. Well, there's
0: one line in the film and I'll paraphrase because I I, don't yeah. think I remember it exactly but. It, uh, they say uh, you don't have to come, but we could use your help. Yeah, and and it's that thing where we're going to give you the choice, but we also you know we we really need you there, and everyone
2: goes. And it's amazing how much that feels like uh, a rhetorical question, too. You know, Roan says it uh, when when he gets everybody assembled, and he says we're we're their only hope. You know, mm-hmm. and none of you have to come, but uh, but we're their only hope. And and the fact that that he knows at that moment that nobody's going to say no, yeah. they're all going to go. And that's the mentality, you know, that that when there are people out there, when there are lives out there that they can save, they all know that they're going to go. Were you aware of the controversial nature of the story uh, beforehand? Were you aware of the story beforehand? Uh, Well, I was aware of it as a political talking point. I was aware of the word Benghazi. You can't can't have avoided it. As as this thing that, uh, you know, was out there and was being used, I think, by both the right and the left as, as a... A political landmine so I was aware of that but uh, so for me when I got the script and when I read the book it was uh, it was really an education um, as to the events of that evening and what happened you know I had no idea what what actually the story behind the story was and so I hope for me that uh, that for audiences it's the same kind of education because all we're doing here is telling the story of these guys and what happened to them on that night how you take that and how you spin that and what you do with that information is left entirely up to you i don't feel there's any particular slant to this movie it's not a political movie at all
0: well the the name clinton doesn't come up there's no mention of obama uh the there there is um the bumbling is he bumbling the CIA head who refuses to allow you in? He but he's a, he's a bureaucrat
2: more or less, and he has incredibly good reasons for all of his decisions. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah. they that that was a CIA annex; it was a yeah. top secret location, and they did not want their location to be revealed. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if when those guys left the compound to go save those people, they were leaving that annex completely exposed. Mm-hmm. They were the last line of defense for all of the 20 some Americans that remained and stayed there so he was facing incredibly difficult choices you know so there's no there's no finger pointing in this movie there's no easy answers to any of these questions and to me that's one of my favorite things about this movie is that it it is a a very honest portrayal of a region of the world that is in chaos right now and and there are no easy answers to any of it and so to me it depicts a place that 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 uh, in a lot of ways we're, we don't have a lot of business being in and we don't know where to go next. Well, the interesting thing
0: to me, uh, uh, there's a couple of lines that, that, that appear at various points in the movie but that tie together. So early on, it's discussed that you know it's so hard to be here because it's hard to tell the good guys from the bad guys. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't know who is who. And then later, when the siege is happening... And there are just these waves of people coming, and before you guys fire one shot, are they friendly? Are they friendly? Mm-hmm. Do we know them? So you can't tell who's who, mm-hmm. and it's reiterated all the way through the movie. And that's the conundrum of war over there. I think yeah, of this battle over there.
2: Yeah, it's a very it's a very gray place. There are yeah. no black and white answers. And the interesting dynamic is to watch is that these guys, I think these guys are relatively black and white thinking people right you know they they come there's a lot of faith they come from christian families and and one of the lines also is you know as long as i'm doing the right thing god will protect yeah, me yeah, yeah. you know and that's a very black and white mentality yeah. and and wanting to know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are is a very black and white mentality but that's one of the dynamics of this movie is that there are no easy answers that it, it is a very very gray situation that we're in and a very gray area of the world to operate in and so you can't bring black and white uh, mentality into that kind of situation kind of ties in with the brink
0: a little bit sure you know like the sort of uh, the much different kind of satirical look Mm -hmm. at uh at uh, a similar you know part of the world a similar kind of thing um do you have a particular interest in this or is this uh just where the jobs have been coming from
2: yeah, I think, um, you know, one of, the, one of the great things about art is that it reflects the world that it exists in, and right now we're living in a world that a lot of the complicated issues exist in that region of the world, yeah, so yeah. We're, we're dealing with those those issues. So the answer is both, you know, um, uh, that's where the jobs are, that's what the stories that are being told are, so, so I'm being drawn to those things, and then, you know, I'm also, I'm also drawn to, to um, things that have no easy answers, and so this is another one of those projects. Uh, Is The Brink coming back? It's not, no. Yeah, HBO picked it up for a second season, and then about a month later decided uh, not to go forward with that. That hurts my feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a little disappointed as well. I loved working with Jack and Tim and, and the rest of the crew. It was... Um such a, a such a fun show. It's shoot. a fantastic show, Oh thank and you.
0: congratulations on it, man. I, I would, lo- I wanted to know more. I wanted uh-huh. when it, when the season one ended, yeah. I crossed my fingers.
2: But yeah, I was hoping we were going to get to do a second season because we were going to go into uh, Russia and that, and I think that was, <laughs> you know, go go more for the Doctor Strange love vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh wow, yeah. Of yeah. course,
0: uh, you're Canadian. Are you Canadian? Yep. You were born here, here, but did you, have you have you lived here? Like, did you grow up here?
2: Yeah, I lived here until I was twelve. Until you're twelve, yeah. I lived in British Columbia, Canada in rural BC, basically base of the Canadian Rocky Mountains. Wow. And uh, when I was 12, my folks split and I moved with my dad to Seattle. And he was an actor too. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And that is, is, did your push towards this business come from him or did it come because you grew up watching him as an actor or where did that happen?
2: Yeah, it's really hard to know. I'm sure that was a, a huge part of the influence that yeah. drew me there is because that was... You know, the example that my dad set and I was watching, he, he was an acting teacher more than he was an actor. Right. And so watching him, um, you know, go to work every day and deal with, with uh, teaching students, I'm sure that influenced me in some way. Then in high school, I, I found theater yeah. and uh, it, it was in direct competition with basketball and, and I did both equally. And then when basketball didn't pan out for me in university, uh, I was faced with the decision of what to do next, and, and acting was the only other thing that really held as, uh, as large a place in my heart as uh, basketball did, so that's where my focus went. And there you are. Yeah. And you've been working steadily, man. I looked at your IMDB page, and
0: it is just one thing after another, after another, after another. I'm a huge Law and Order fan. And oh yeah, you? man! I can't, I can't even tell you. <laughs> the SVU uh, arc, but uh, but uh, you've been working constantly.
2: I mean, you know, how gratifying is that? How cool is that? Yeah, it's awesome. I, I've been very fortunate, you know, and I don't take it lightly because uh, in this business, I think just to be an actor who gets paid to do what what you love yeah, to do yeah. is a really really fortunate position to be in, and you know, beyond that, to get to to work with the amount of people that I've worked with and the caliber, you know, one of my first jobs coming out of acting school was The Wire on HBO and you know to have that be one of the first gigs and one of the first templates of, of what a TV show can be it, it set such a huge bar for me you know um, and then to work in the theater as much as I have and you know to get nominated for a Tony for Awake and Sing and um, just, just to, to work with the caliber of people I've gotten to work with is is uh I feel so lucky you know to go from the wire to then Orange is the New Black and have those be these like kind of tentpole amazing shows that so many people respect and love um I I, I really couldn't be happier with the position that I'm in and and um I don't take that lightly cuz I know a lot of I have a lot of friends who who wish they were uh you know having more work than they have yeah. uh um So every moment that I'm continuing to put food on the table for my kids, uh, getting to do this and not having to do something else is, is a happy day.
0: I always think of Guillermo del Toro telling me one time, he said, every time I step on a movie set, I always assume it's going to be the last time I step on a movie set. Oh, (laughs) actors are the same, man.
2: That's the last day of any job you do is, uh, is a a stressful day. It's, you always think, okay, that's it. You know, I'm, I, what's next? I hope I get something next. Of course, something always comes. Something always comes.
0: That's Pablo Schreiber. You can see him right now on the big screen in 13 hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. Well, that's it. That's all. I don't want you guys here anymore. It's not that I'm feeling down. It's just that, well... Our time together has come to an end for this week. Anyway, Uh, I want to thank Dr. Norman Holland. I want to thank Pablo Schreiber for coming by, but most of all, thank you for coming by to the house of Krause. We've been getting more and more visitors every week. We put a new show up on Monday and every week we get more and more visitors coming back. And I love that without you, there'd be no reason in doing this. So please come back as many times as you want. Every Monday in particular, that's when we put up a new show and you never know who's gonna stop by for a chat. So it's always different every week and it's always entertaining every single week.